0: Broadcasting live from the water park expansion of Pandora, the world of Avatar at Walt Disney World Animal Kingdom, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts. Garrett Strother.
1: And I'm your other host, Seamus Connolly.
0: And personally, Seamus, I cannot wait for our podcast to take us to the world of Pandora where <laughs> yeah. we'll I'm broadcast on of... the Navi River Journey, yes. you know.
1: I've always wanted to go to that bizarre theme park that is still there somehow, even though this has been the longest awaited sequel I have I have personally gone to opening weekend probably.
0: And we're gonna have to wait a little bit longer to talk about it because we have some other hot upcoming news to get into including speaking of long anticipated sequels the trailer for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny which feels like it came out a million years ago but we've been having so much podcast weirdness of late with Thanksgiving and then me being bad about getting this the this last episode out.
1: Be- being a sick dead corpse man for like two yeah, weeks straight that didn't that's help. True. But this uh, trailer man I, I, I was a little unsure about it at first First, but we did get to see it on the IMAX screen and Before Avatar and I'm I'm kind of jazzed for it, man. I, I, I need some whip action up in here. I need to hear that crack.
0: This trailer really worked for me. It did. It showed me just enough to say, okay, the action looks solid. Ford's performance looks at least as good as it was in Crystal Skull, which is not the problem with Crystal Skull. But it didn't show me too much that I feel like I know everything that's going on. I'm assuming the Dial of Destiny is that weird, uncharted <laughs> (laughs) 3 disc thing that they show very briefly in this trailer?
1: Yeah, I mean, I... I, At this point, I just want to see that horse chase that they show in the trailer a lot, because that is... That was getting my, my spine tingling, but... The dial of destiny sounds like a like a weird time travel thing to me, like or or like and yeah, we got we got Mads my, Mikkelsen up in here as a Nazi guy. I'm sure it's some weird Hitler occult thing, like the 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 Ark and the Holy Grail and all that. So I'm I'm interested to see what it actually does because after Crystal Skull, anything is on the table really, and I I'm very excited to see what the hell is actually going on.
0: I will say I feel like I like what I see in this trailer more than I like the tone of this actual trailer because it has the whole slowed down Indiana (laughs) Jones theme, the epic conclusion of the indie saga, and I'm like, this is not what Indiana Jones is. Indiana Jones is one-off serial adventures that are pulpy and fun, and it's not about this large, overarching story like this is trying to play on my nostalgia tingles to lead me to believe.
1: Well, I mean, it's probably the last one. I mean, he is an old man, and... it took so long to get this one after Crystal Skull. I don't think he's doing another one. They uh, could very well kill Indiana Jones in this movie. You got to bring in I Mutt Williams after table, that, huh? you know. I mean, where's Mutt Williams in the trailer? <laughs> I'm. I need at least one throwaway of like I told. I told you Marion that I was gonna put that boy in school or some something like that. I and that'll that'll satisfy. He's still
0: me. in school ten years later. He's a slow
1: learner, you know. He's he's gotta get his archaeology doctorate to be like his old man.
0: Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I don't anticipate seeing Shia in this. I I do not anticipate seeing Marion even in this, though he is wearing his wedding ring in True. the trailer. I noticed that.
1: I don't know, man. I'm thinking I'm thinking end of the movie stinger. Almost like the end of the Crystal Skull, Mutt Williams, Shia's gonna pick up the hat this time and say don't even think about it, old man, and then he's going to pull out his own whip, and he's going to swing into action.
0: Maybe, Sheamus. You know, we'll be there opening weekend either way, so... Oh, yeah, for, we'll sure, find out for together. sure.
1: But another trailer we have on this list here that I was pretty jazzed to see on the big screen alongside all the other fun stuff at Avatar was the Spider-Verse 2 trailer, which... It's it's across, the, across Spider-verse. the Spider-Verse. Yes, yes, it is looking great. I miss that animation so much. Miles is getting jumped by every Spider-Man in the verse out there. I'm, I'm very excited to see why. I guess he's he's playing with dimension things. I guess he didn't really ask for that, but uh, Spider-Man 2099 is going to rip that man apart.
0: Yeah, and we hear Spider-Gwen say we're supposed to be the good guys, and 2099 say we are. So I'm very curious about what kind of idea logical difference is going to be at play here that obviously 2099 is taking things a little bit too far
1: well wait wait isn't 2099 um oh my god he's a blue guy a future future guy at the end the end credits scene of the first yep. one yep I, oh I thought it's Oscar Isaac right yeah I sorry I thought um bum hobo Spider-Man was saying we are and all that but maybe, maybe I just Oh maybe that. it
0: was bum maybe it was Peter B. Parker yeah Peter B. Parker who I did Peter not know was Parker. going to be in this movie because I hadn't he wasn't in the first teaser so I'm glad Glad to see him back,
1: yeah, he was probably my favorite Spider-Man in the first one. He was, he was. Uh, I mean, maybe Spider-Man Noir, but
0: I was gonna say that's that's <laughs> <the> <laughs> hard. Talk when hard spider Noir is around. Yeah, yeah.
1: But you know, I'm excited for this one. That's definitely a day one opening weekend for me. That I love the first one. I I want to get a million more of these as long as they're still good. And that I thought we were supposed to be the good guys. Line is already letting me know that much like the first movie, this is gonna be a lot more emotional and serious with Miles as a human character than, you know, some other Marvel things are letting their characters be these days.
0: I'm a little concerned the scale of this seems Absolutely massive, and part of the charm for me of the first Spider Verse is while they're bringing all of these disparate components together, it really is a pretty focused, centralized story. And so I'm very curious about how that's going to shake out because it could, it could it could not go well. I think they could get a little too big for their britches, but I I trust them. That first Spider Verse is one of the great superhero movies, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm optimistic.
1: Yeah, me too. We're gonna we're gonna be there together i'm sure i am sure what's that what's that up there it's a bird it's a plane it's a warner warning oh Oh, no no no, jesus god here oh No. no And this is a hell of a Warner warning. We we've been dormant for a little bit, but DC is absolutely going crazy
0: right now. It is. I really thought we'd kind of simmered and that we were getting back to normalcy. I thought that things were going to continue to stay on streaming services. How naive I was! Oh, because naive indeed. I think I think I'm just gonna I'm just I'm just gonna break break out all the stuff that's been going on. We Henry Cavill, despite his prominent uh, press done around black adam is out as superman apparently he went into a meeting with james gunn and peter Safran, and was told that he would not be reprising his role and instead james gunn will be writing a new superman film the search for a director and new star is currently underway this is part of a kind of Studio-wide house-clearing, it seems, where Black Adam 2 and Wonder Woman 3 have also been put on the chopping block.
1: Yeah, we were—I was pretty jazzed to hear about Henry Cavill coming back, if I'm being honest, and I guess I have been one of the people that has been an advocate for like, you know, nuke the DC universe, start from scratch, leave only Shazam. You know, like get 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 us back on track here. But now that it's kind of all happening at once here, I am I'm pretty sad. Henry Cavill was a good Superman. I wanted him to get his chance to be in like a good movie as <laughs> Superman. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. He was going to have that chance, and now it's uh uh no Witcher, no Superman. I hear rumors of a Warhammer 40K Warhammers.
0: I don't even know what that means really, I, barely know what that is.
1: I barely know what that is either but I mean I I'm I'm hoping for the best for the man. I I really do think he's a talent and I I'm sad that he's gone. Wonder Woman 3, I don't really care about. It was it was kind of the craziest thing of all time to see like the Twitter screenshots of Gal Gadot being like big news coming, guys, get ready. (laughs) And then the next day it was like, uh, thank you for your support. I'm no longer wondering what that that was, that was wild. But uh, Black Adam 2, it was already a long shot to begin with. But man, that is for sure dead in the water.
0: I mean, especially with all of the rumblings going on over there about it not being profitable versus there being some book cooking (laughs) and maybe Dwayne Johnson committed fraud. Oh, uh, <laughs> no,
1: Dwayne, you were such a good guy.
0: Uh, yes, famous good guy, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> it's, uh, silver lining out of all this is that Patty Jenkins has confirmed that Rogue Squadron is still in development, which makes me happy.
1: Right on, good stuff.
0: But yeah, I mean, Henry Cavill, he's a, he should be a huge movie star, and he's not. He never got the right chance to play Superman, and I I'm really sad that we won't get to see him take a proper crack at it, because the very brief look that we got at his return was very exciting to me and Uh, totally i mean you and i talked about this during the black adam episode of late even though the dc universe as a universe does not work for me i have been more engaged with dc stuff than marvel which is strange to say
1: yeah, and now it's like I mean I I guess I'm more curious than ever to see where they're going. I, Flashpoint is somehow not on any of the lists of things because god. I mean <laughs>
0: Miller is standing like <laughs> Luke Skywalker after a million AT-AT bolts p- pummeled all around him and just wiping off his creepy
1: oh, kidnapper God. shoulder. He, Ezra Miller is the somehow the bulletproof person in all of this, and it is it is fascinating. I I'm, he's ugh.
0: he's entered the Speed Force, and so he can't um, he can't be touched. <laughs>
1: he is that time travel the Speed Force? Did he get Henry Cavill axed? Is that what's happening?
0: He's like no one no one's coming back. Uh, he went back all the way to BVS
1: yeah he went back to b v s and somehow made that a bad movie and tanked the tanked the franchise i'm so I'm sure of it because
0: I remember that my Mandela effect is b v s is a great movie Um, movie I've never actually sat all the way through. You should.
1: I mean, it's it's (laughs) fascinating. I remember liking it when I saw it at the time, but that's that old retroactive realizations out there.
0: But this is not the end of our Warner Warning, because we also have more news from HBO Max that HBO and HBO Max original content, including Westworld, The Nevers, and Made for Love will be removed from HBO Max in the coming days. So they're not done taking stuff off streaming, and especially those Max originals that are unlikely to get shopped out to other streaming services are probably just going to be used as tax write-offs again. That is
1: really sad. I mean, a couple episodes ago when we were talking about the cancellation of the last Westworld season, I was like... Well, maybe I'll still one day get around to it. It's there, but I, I guess it's not. It's not there anymore. I've Westworld is just fading into dust.
0: And at least Westworld has the luck of having gotten physical media releases, you know, whereas most of these never have and are just disappearing off the face of the Earth, or at least the face of the legal Earth. Oh, that is
1: st- still upset. I, even though i uh, very lukewarm... Uh, Interest in things like Westworld and these other shows, these other Max originals. I'm. It just feels bad. Feels bad, man. I. 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 I, What. What's next? You know. I. I. I gotta be on my toes. I gotta buy all the Blu-rays I can because there's just absolutely nothing safe. (laughs)
0: Come to the dark side, Seamus. I mean, I know you're already here, but like, come further. You know. (laughs) Moving on to some more encouraging television news though. Or I don't I don't know. What do you make of this? We've kind of lumped these together even though they usually wouldn't have gone together because they're both PlayStation things. There has been a God of War TV series that's officially in production, picked up to series at Amazon.
1: Yeah, I'm that one that one I'm not I'm not sure about. It. I is there any information about it at all? Is it is it going to kind of span a few eras? Is it more going to stay solidified in the Norse time and place are we aware of anything
0: no no idea really no idea i would assume that it's going to be more focused on the 2018 reboot and you know the world that's been established and expanded in ragnarok of the norse Pantheon.
1: And, yeah, I do know that Sonny Soljic, the the guy who plays Atreus in those games, when this was announced, he immediately came out on his social media about his enthusiasm for wanting to be a part of it. So that would I saw at that least as well. Be, yeah that that would be fantastic. I would be very very interested to see that kind of live action. I mean, as if we don't already have the most advanced facial motion capture of all time in those games, but it, it would be it would be fascinating to see in live action.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I'm. I know I'm the guy who's constantly saying I'm glad Last of Us is getting an adaptation so that more people who would never play a video game will be able to experience that story. But Last of Us is also a situation where it's so story-forward that it almost makes sense to be a TV Hmm. series or movie more. As opposed to, I feel like, The God of War games, especially, and you can speak to this more than I can, but especially 2018 and Ragnarok are such an even balance of story and gameplay Mm -hmm. that I wonder if something will be lost in translation.
1: Yeah, a lot of my enjoy because like, I mean I obviously love the story of God of War twenty eighteen. That is a it's a it's a tear jerker. It's absolutely incredibly metal in its in its violence and its its messages through that. But the gameplay is really where it's at. You know, throwing that axe and recalling it. It's gonna be cool to see it on screen. But I could throw my axe and recall it a hundred times in like thirty minutes for fun. Not even in a fight,
0: <laughs> or, or just to stand and try to hit that one raven oh circling above you, and you just uh, can't hit him no matter how many times. I hate it. You, you line up your reticle perfectly on his flight path, and you just can't get the timing right over and over and over again.
1: Yeah, if there's a whole episode of that, like, raven hunting, I'm there. I'm in. Lock it in. <laughs> I'm into it. Or, like, uh, give me a Brock and Sindri side episode, you know? That, that, that seems like it'd be pretty the fun. But there's I, so
0: much Ragnarok stuff I need to talk oh, about, man. Which Seamus. I know, dude, it.
1: I know. I've somehow avoided all spoilers, and I'm very proud of that. But I don't Good know how user. long that damn will hold.
0: Well, it, it won't be coming from me. You know that. Oh, of and course. I know that. Now... I don't know. You you're more of a fan of this, but I'm I'm definitely more interested in in this property's transition to the silver screen. Death Stranding is getting a movie produced by the team that made Barbarian, which we co centered a few weeks yes, ago. Yes,
1: yes we did. I am very jazzed about this. I know that Hideo Kojima is an entirely cinema forward artist even though he is most famous for his video games but that man is obsessed with film and the fact that he is also directly a part of the team that's making this obviously great sign the kojima productions team is getting up in there and the announcement of death stranding 2 working title uh it makes me think that of course at the game awards yes 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 i oh i flipped out when i saw that trailer but It it definitely leads me to believe that this isn't going to be such a straightforward adaptation of the first game. Uh, I honestly am not expecting Norman Reedus to be in it at all. I think it's going to be a completely different story set in the world, going to get a lot more backstory about the actual places and the timings of events that are so important in the game. But it's like a very purposefully vague kind of world that you're in that you're kind you learn bit by bit with a lot of collectibles and things that you find emails from characters that you read throughout the game but i i think this is going to be a very unique take on what death stranding is considering how genre bending kojima likes to do his things especially death stranding so I, I and the fact that the barbarian guys are here that's just amazing and that kind of meld of bizarre artistic terrifying choices for for pieces like those two separately when they come together it's gonna be immaculate i think i'm very very excited
0: well i'll take your word for it as our resident death stranding expert that this is a good matchup so i'm I'm excited
1: yeah i mean i'll there's been many years of metal gear solid the movie things that have just Always been in hey, development hell. I mean, but... J-
0: Jordan Vogt Roberts is working on it, and I know his health. I, know. I think had a lot to do with the delays on that. And I, I trust him, but I, I also remember seeing him at the music box like seven years ago, <laughs> and him talking about making that movie. So seven years ago, yeah. ten
1: years ago, it's 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 getting strung along a little bit. But I, I think I have more genuine hope for Death Stranding to come out on more of a streamlined timeline because of Death Stranding 2's development and and the story kind of coming together as they're they're chipping away at this insane universe so I'm 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 very excited for this one
0: I'm glad to hear it Seamus but should we move on to our main segment we've waited 13 years for it Avatar The
1: Way of Water please let's do it For today's main segment, we're talking about the long-awaited, highly anticipated Avatar The Way of Water. We just saw this together the other day in IMAX 3D, the way God James Cameron intended it to be. And <laughs> we're... I, I, have, I think I have a lot to say here, but I think overall I am... I really enjoyed it. I think, pre-spoilers, it was, I think, worth the 13-year wait, I guess. After that long, I wasn't entirely expecting really anything story-wise, but we got, I think we got a completely epic, completely entertaining, very fitting sequel to what is going to Branch out into a million more movies, a, another video game coming out, probably a TV show someday. I, I I think it was a it's a great step in the right direction here, and I'm excited to see a lot more of what they've got up their sleeves for these these blue folks.
0: I think that the leaps in technology are insane. You and I went to go see the Avatar re-release when it was in theaters this summer, which had you know some of the new bells and whistles that Way of Water is equipped with, like. high frame rate and the 4k resolution but seeing that movie which still looks good i think especially in the format it was Mm. intended to be seen in up against way of water there's just there it's incredible how much better way of water looks how immersive it really really is the high frame rate didn't always work for me but when it worked it really worked especially Mm. in those water sequences
1: yeah, those water they they nailed it. The the water emphasis on everything was so well done and so beautiful, such remarkable creature design and I know James Cameron lives in the ocean if I'm if I'm not mistaken. So he's he's got a good frame of reference for all of these weird things that he's plugged into this new. And I mean technically I think in the first movie, oh no, I I might be getting ahead of myself here. But overall I thought the new setting in this movie was was completely beautiful and it blew me away so many times, even though like I said, I wasn't I I was just I went and I was going along for the ride. I trusted what Avatar Two was gonna bring to me and it really it really played in my favor.
0: I think that there is widespread, a kind of lukewarm remembrance of the first Avatar. And, you know, the recurring joke is, nobody remembers any of the characters' names or whatever, that it had no cultural impact despite being the highest grossing movie of all time. And I don't think that's true. I think the way that Avatar changed the way movies are made, for better and worse, is still seen today. And that... I think a common issue certainly that I had with the first avatar was how one dimensional the narrative is and and uninteresting and unengaging most of the characters are. And this movie completely remedies that problem for me because not only does it take pre-existing characters and make them far more interesting just based on the problems that they're trying to solve in the in the new relationships that they have going on, but the new characters I think are bizarre and ask very interesting questions and very likable, and the family dynamic that's at the core of the film is really, really strong.
1: Yeah, definitely. They they intro this family like right away. They do a lot of really interesting like solo character moments throughout this insanely long movie. They really do have time for it. Um so I it was it was really awesome to see the way cuz it's it's you know, it's not straightforward Navi stuff. Of course, it's it's our boy Jake Sully doing his avatar body thing and passing along these other very specific lore based things to his family that they have to deal with throughout the entire movie. And I loved the expansion on the Navi culture through the lens of his family's eyes and their place in the hierarchy of these tribes on Pandora. I thought it was just very well done. And I want to see more of those interactions as we go through this franchise with more, you know, different sects of this culture that is I mean, there's definitely going to be some kind of crossover, kind of like how they were doing it in the climax of the first Avatar, but a lot more in depth, and I'm, I'm very excited for that.
0: I'm trying to think of what else we can say without getting into spoilers. Because it's it, it's you know, we've got the characters and the world and the effects and how all of those are working for us better than they did in the first one, I <laughs> yes, think it's fair to say. Definitely.
1: I don't know if I agreed with you when you um, said that, but I definitely
0: do. I hate to do this, but Seamus, do you think it's already time to call spoilers?
1: We gotta do it, man. This is there's so much in this long movie that we, we need to we need to dig in before it's too late.
0: All right. Well, this is our official spoiler warning for Avatar: The Way of Water.
1: Where, yeah. Where do you want to start, man? Jake Sully's got a great life with his family for a while until they absolutely nuke Pandora when the when the Sky People come back. I mean, his cool wooden gun. What about that? Oh yeah, his his like rifle that's like all personalized. You mean? Hmm. Yeah. I I, I I was into that. I, I liked seeing his further integration into Navi culture. And I I I loved his leader role. I I forget what they call him as like the chief fellow.
0: Um, uh, Taruk Maktor, I think, is what he is
1: because he tamed. The, oh yes, yes, the, the big the, red Taruk, the wild boy. Yes, but yeah, his 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 role in the like, Lawrence of Arabia-esque insurgency guerrilla warfare. Against... I thought the same
0: thing. I, I, thought, I thought the exact same yeah, thing.
1: they. I mean, they really, they, like, have a shot where they're standing on an overturned train car that I'm almost positive was completely shot for shot inspired by Lawrence of Arabia. So, it's not super subtle, but it, it does really rile me up when the, when those battle scenes... The action in this movie is, is crazy good. It, it is entirely evolved from the first movie. And there's not any shortage of giant massive arrows. Just really, they're blowing the heads off of these humans when they hit them in the head. (laughs) They're absolutely just decimating them with these bows and arrows. And I I love to see it every time.
0: But it's also the return of the James Cameron gunfight, which we haven't gotten since. I want to say true lies, yeah, would have been the last time that he did a true, real gunfight.
1: Yeah, because I mean, again, even in the first movie, it's really, it's it's not all the way there. But this one, they they don't rely too heavily on like mech suit things, and the Navi are a lot more capable in in like a modern battlefield like that. They've got a little more experience dealing with the humans, and it's it's so fluid and so incredibly choreographed when it gets down to the close combat stuff with with Jake and our, I mean, I don't know if it was a surprise villain, but we got Avatar version of Colonel, what's his name, from the first movie? I should have learned his name. Quaritch. Quaritch?
0: Quaritch. Q A R I T C H.
1: I loved him in this movie. He was maybe my favorite part of this movie is weird, rebirthed Avatar Quaritch who is going on, like, this blood revenge quest assigned to him by real Quaritch from the first movie. It, it, it is very fascinating how they're doing that.
0: And our one Giovanni Rabisi cameo. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes! Oh, I thought he was going to be in the whole movie, man. What the hell? He's he'll the be one back who... for Avatar 5 or he's whatever. He's the one who says, this isn't over. You know that, right? And I was like, I bet it's not over, man. Let's go. And he's barely in it.
0: Well, we got to make up for it the most metal image maybe of Cameron's (laughs) entire filmography truth be told yes. of Quaritch not only discovering his own corpse with Natiri's four foot arrows still lodged in his chest but then upon watching the video of how he went out, deciding that the human version of him was inferior and weak, plucking the head off of the skeleton and crushing it In his bare hand
1: my god that that was so hardcore to do and i mean that's a really hardcore character i guess but man that imagery in and of itself like when they got to the old shack from the first movie and they find his old mech suit with arrows all up in it and they're like investigating i was like well this in and of itself is an insane thing to see but they just went they turned that up to 11 and just uh, uh Crumbling his human skull in his big blue hands is an insane thing.
0: Yeah, it's really, again, a huge step up because Gorich in the first movie is not that interesting to me. He just, you know, he's like one of the Marines from Aliens. He's just kind of there and he's (laughs) he's ready to kill whatever is out there to kill and he's invincible and macho and whatever.
1: Yeah, he says, oorah, and Semper Fi, and we're like, this guy's a Marine. Oh, yeah. Exactly, exactly.
0: But this time around, there was so much more weird depth going on to him. The fact that he's this weird clone, but he is Korich at the same time, is fascinating.
1: Well, I mean, that coupled with his long-lost son, who is like a little jungle book boy. We gotta talk about
0: Spider. And again, a testament to the effects of, he's really the only human character with any screen time in the movie, and every time he's on screen in what is certainly an completely cgi environment with all of these cgi characters where he's interacting with them and touching them and going in and out of the water with them or up and down trees with them and it's completely seamless you completely buy it the whole time it doesn't feel like he's on a green screen or in the volume or anything he's on pandora with the navi
1: yeah, it looks fantastic. Like like you're saying, the amount of times because he does he does end up getting captured by his blue clone dad for a while there, and they're like roughing him up and they're like you know manhandling him a while, like pushing him around. And I you know yeah I forgot a little bit that it was so computer generated in in so much of that because it looks fantastic. It truly truly does, and th- the dynamic that he has with kind of the first. Earth humans that he can really remember and and their agendas and his conflict within himself about his father and how he like er, very early on we get a little snippet of his internal struggle with like his identity and and who he is and where he comes from, and throughout all of that it it's him acting beautifully in, in this very emotional role, like you're saying along alongside nine foot tall c g i characters and it, it looks incredible it, it's not distracting at all really
0: i will say not all of the spider story stuff worked for me like it seemed like he kind of started helping the marines really
1: easily yeah <laughs> a little like, bit i guess they were gonna kind of maybe kill him but like but, but then when they're burning down the village he's like no you didn't say you were gonna do this i didn't <laughs> know they were gonna do this i'm like you're
0: take you're taking them to kill jake sully dude yeah. Like that's what yeah. you've been hired or made whatever to do.
1: Yeah, I, I did think he was gonna put up a little more of a like a sneaky espionage, like, oh yeah, you're our interpreter, and I thought he was gonna kinda twist that against them, but he really does he really doesn't, like <laughs> you're saying.
0: Really anything. Um, especially considering the fact that, as you and I both discussed before the show, he seems to have some kind of sexual tension with Jake and the adopted daughter Kiri who is the v- seemingly version birth of Grace aka Sigourney Weaver's dormant avatar from the first film.
1: Yeah, that was that was something. I mean their relationship together honestly kind of like felt pretty natural. I mean considering the first movie a lot of that is about like a a, a real human man who is developing all of this affinity for Navi and Navi culture and Navi people and all that and boiling that a little farther down into like two teenagers growing up together and maybe falling into feelings for each other but i did get quite distracted when thinking about like what's the deal with Benj- Benjamin Button Sigourney Weaver out here because it, it it is they they bring it up and they have like a moment of like maybe we're going to you know give you a little something about what the hell this character is or what they do or what they mean in the grand scheme of the tree of life and and pandora as a living being but they really keep that all under wraps for the pretty much the entire movie which i was surprised about
0: uh we keep making jokes about the dune sequels to each other and i feel like <laughs> kiri is the most emblematic of a thing that a lot of fantasy stories do which is they complete the hero's journey like the first avatar is the hero's journey of jake sully going to the new world becoming accepted in it becoming a leader in it and now we just get to go cuckoo bananas and do whatever we want (laughs) in our weird fantasy setting and kiri is the weirdest part of that because not only is her conception strange and the genesis of that character is just, is is a difficult thing to wrap your head around in a very uh, weird concept. <laughs> yeah, yes. But then the fact that she's also like the Na'vi messiah and can control the nature on the planet Pandora, as we learn in the third act, is insane. But they do such a good job showing her connection to the natural world and having her struggle with her place in the Na'vi that it feels earned by the time that revelation comes, and it would be really, really easy for that character not to work at all, and I think Sigourney Weaver, who I was originally very skeptical about the idea of her playing her own weird teenage daughter, <laughs> yes. plays that character so well, and and seems to have such a handle on the kind of character, the kind of conflict, the kind of spirituality that she's supposed to embody, that it just works.
1: Yeah, I'm very excited. They set up so much for this character. There there's moments of like like you said she's controlling the nature. She's kind of like immediately attuned to the water lifestyle of the water people. She has a seizure when she connects to the the life tree and they do the not... underwater life tree. Yes, by the, the underwater way. life tree, of course. And they they very ominously are like This isn't anything mystical. It's a seizure and she will like be in big trouble if she does this again. And then the entire rest of the movie, they don't have it happen again. They don't even bring up the life tree, the underwater life tree again. And I think that is going to be a very interesting avenue for them to explore when these movies ultimately all turn into uh, young Sigourney Weaver starring films when they kill Jake Sully in the next one.
0: I kind of thought they were gonna kill Jake Sully in this one for part <laughs> I, of the part of the finale.
1: Yeah, I I thought it was gonna kind of be a a tit for tat with old Quaritch out there, and it, it was gonna be kind of like an Empire Strikes Back ending where we gotta we gotta really kick the Navi while they're down and set up for the the comeback in the next one, but. I mean their their fights together were so electric regardless that I I want to and now they're still both alive at the end that's that's nice I want to see them do that again and as many more times as they'll let these massive wingspan aliens knife fight each other on a sinking boat like that it was incredible
0: What did you think of the uh the oldest sully boy character of
1: older brother who who gets iced in this one i i wish i wish he had a character for me to be sad that is gone if yeah. i'm being honest he was truly just old he could have been credited as older brother character and that's kind of what what i got out of that he gets scolded a couple times for not keeping the younger more more spunkier brother in line
0: the one who's more like jake sully believe yeah it
1: exactly yeah oh yeah, yeah crazy but yeah, they're, they're, it's just like a couple sorry sirs, and I, I wish they explored at least a little bit more their brotherly relationship before he takes his, his martyr bullet to the chest on the final escape there. Agreed.
0: And I did, though, really like the younger brother and his whole headstrong dynamic. I mean, he's frustrating, obviously, as is the design of the character, hmm. but... You know he wants to be out and he wants to be part of the war tribe and he's got a weird crush on one of the the water navi and the
1: princess water navi man. Yes, you, there, there's a hierarchy thing happening.
0: But also, just like his dad, who came just like the, his dad who came into the world of Pandora and was like, "Hey, the princess, you know, we're gonna bond for life at the, <laughs> the tree of souls. Yeah, um, we're gonna yeah. wrap our ponytails together."
1: Well, I mean, as we know from the end of this movie, the the Sullys are sticking around old Water World over there, so yep. they're they're gonna get they're gonna get some more screen time together for sure.
0: And he's gonna get to be with his best friend, the talking whale, yes! forever. I
1: loved that whale. That whale was one of the best characters in that movie. The talking whale. They the whales talk. They sing and they're like. They're like, they're the most intelligent creatures on this planet. They're philosophers <laughs> and songwriters, and they have they have lifelong bonding relationships. And I I, but, I love that. But this that. whale
0: was an outcast, Seamus. W- and he was missing a fin because he, g- cause he got caught in a whaling raid, and he was the only survivor, and then everybody believed that he killed everybody that died in the whaling raid. But don't worry, he's going to get his revenge on all those evil whalers.
1: <laughs> oh, the whale, ba- the battle whale of of legends just flipping out of the water and like crushing soldiers on the dock of a bo- the deck of a boat incredible like a vengeful intelligent whale that's like angling projectiles that are fired at him with his head plate to explode other boats it's it's so gnarly in that fight i i love it so much
0: the lead whaler guy getting his arm severed oh, by, yes. the, by the the cable as it drags the
1: ship underwater. You think that guy's coming back with a robot arm? Oh, that'd be pretty cool. Actually, He's like, I'm pissed that. at the water people because I lost my arm in my boat and stuff. And my business is ruined, so I'm going to help. <laughs> my business, Jake Sully. <laughs> He was very adamant about that yellow goop that he he drills into the skull of one of those whales for.
0: Oh yeah, no unobtainium in this one. Only yellow goop, <laughs> no yellow one, whale brain goop.
1: No one cares about unobtainium anymore. It's so funny and weird that that they spent so much time in the first movie being like unobtainium. It's worth a hundred bajillion dollars in Earth money. There's only one planet we can get it, and now nobody gives a damn about it. They're just they're just out for. I guess, just old-school colonization. There's building cities, whaling.
0: I actually thought it was really cool that they showed that the Giovanni Rabisi company was not the only company that was colonizing Pandora, because they're the ones that are after the Unobtainium with the forest people, and then there's the whaler guys that work for a separate company that are colonizing for the whale stuff.
1: Yeah, that, w- that was interesting. And there- there's a pretty significant time jump between... You know the intro with setting up what so the Sullies have been up to for for a good couple of years versus when the Sky people come back and they're just kind of they're just kind of all over the place.
0: So it must have been like fifteen years, right? Because Spider grows to be a teenager and he's too young for yeah, Cryo yeah. when he's a child. He's like maybe two during the events of the first Avatar.
1: Or even younger, they keep referencing that he was, like, a baby when the, the humans got evacuated the first time, and they're like, yeah. you can't put a baby in cryosleep or whatever. So, yep. I, I, that, that, yeah, that, that, it had to have been at least a good 15 or 16 years of peace before they came back.
0: I will say, one thing I was a little bit disappointed in in this movie, and I know James Cameron, and I know we've got three more of these, hopefully, at least one more of these, at but least. hopefully three more of these, where... I was expecting a little bit more deep water stuff. We really stuck yeah, up to yeah. the reef. And I'm like, I want to go deep, James Cameron. What kind of weird freaky stuff's at the bottom of this ocean?
1: Ah, oh, if only. There's another Titanic down there. I guarantee it.
0: <laughs> well, there's another Titanic in the third act of this movie.
1: Brother. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Oh, for sure, they're going back to the wreckage of that battle in the third one, right?
0: Oh, that'd be really cool. I'd Hell like yeah. that, yeah. Because this third act is Aliens, it's Terminator 2, it is
1: Titanic,
0: it's the Abyss, it's all of James Cameron's previous work kind of pastiched into one outstanding hour-long action sequence at the end of (laughs) this movie.
1: It is truly just a a spectacular, it it just stitched together in every way, I was definitely glancing over at you every time I was like noticing how familiar everything felt every time they cut back to like the kids trying to escape and not drown and the Sully and Quaritch fight and, and uh, all the other things that are just like underwater or in a sinking ship or it, it was, it was just so fun. It, it was truly an incredibly fun carnage filled last, you know, 45 minutes hour of that movie.
0: And, the crowd was really into it, which I loved that our that our IMAX theater was almost completely full. There were like maybe 10 seats that were yeah. empty in our whole auditorium, which is the most full I've seen a movie theater in years and years, even before the pandemic. I don't think Endgame or Rise of Skywalker were that full opening night.
1: No, yeah. They, they, everybody came out of the woodworks for this insane movie, and I'm really glad that we had such a packed audience.
0: And I'm glad that they were so into it, too, and... I love that we all, there's this moment where N'atiri and Jake are fighting and, and Took, who we haven't even talked about, their youngest, who's a sweetheart, lover to death. Oh, um, so sweet. James Cameron's probably going to make us watch her die in the next one, knowing him. Oh, I but... can't wait. <laughs> 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 She's watching them argue, and there's this moment where, because Jake wants to leave the tribe because he knows that if they stay they will only raid the tribe and kill everybody that the mm. Sky People will come and attack again. And Natiri doesn't want to go. And there's this moment where Jake goes like full East Coast dad. He's like, I can protect his family. Dad, I can do. <laughs> and the whole theater laughed. And we didn't laugh because it was stupid, even though it kind of is. We laughed because it was f- so funny to have this familiar, archetypical human dad in coming out of this blue d- nine-foot-tall <laughs> yes. avatar.
1: Yeah, fanged, dreadlock-wearing, like, beads around his neck. He's got his tribal assault rifle. Like, he's cleaning it in one scene. It's it's very weird.
0: I loved Natiri's You know, I I felt like she was sidelined for most of the movie and really only got to do, like, a, a couple of mom scenes. And she had that cool... That opening scene where she hunts while she's pregnant It's pretty rad. Oh, yeah. But... At the end, when she just goes full like revenge oh, tour and is just dude. throwing arrows into everyone,
1: yeah, she's like ripping people apart. I mean, like understandably, her grief acting in this movie is heartbreaking. So to see that translated into like so- Sully's like they have our other kids and her just like thousand yard stare, grabbing her bow and going insane was it was. It's so crazy was making my skin crawl watching her just decimate these dudes they have took tied
0: up for the eighth time in the <laughs> third yes. act that refuses to end
1: Oh, man, yeah, they really recapture those kids quite a lot in this movie. It's it's a little bit too
0: much for my taste, I'll say that, that I think that, and I know they make a joke about it, where she's like, I can't believe I'm tied up again. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I think they could have cut a couple of beats in, the, in that part of the third act specifically, although it really does lean into the Incredibles vibe in the third act where you've just got the family together fighting and in different fun combinations. Yes. And they still feel like a family the whole time.
1: Yeah, man, and... and- all the while, in the back of my head... I mean, I was sad that the older brother got shot to death, and that's that's really messed up. And there's a very, you know, touching funeral scene where they're finally accepted into the tribe of the water people because of your, the loss your son of Your son lies
0: with our ancestors. You're part of the tribe now. That's pretty rad. Yeah. Yeah, it, but ugh,
1: all of them together doing their own separate things, and Benjamin Button Sigourney Weaver, like, coming in hot and lighting the way with the bioluminescent fish to, like, save her drowning family. It's very awesome. Very awesome.
0: I was a big fan of Avatar The Way of Water, and I I was a little skeptical, even though, you know, I've said it a million times, I, I trust James Cameron. I do.
1: That's That was pretty much my thesis of this movie, is, like, I you know i watched the very vague trailer when it came out and i rewatched avatar 1 but i was just like i'm just i'm just i'm just here i'm letting the water currents take me in this one and it was it was the only thing i needed to do that james cameron had us in the palm of his ocean water soaked hands the entire time and it it was perfect his hands that don't even prune anymore because he's lived <laughs> in the ocean for so long he is a water people he's riding one of those weird dragon fish dragons
0: I actually was watching an interview with him today where he talks about how they built these jet propulsion rigs that go underwater and can fly around above the water to capture footage of them to see how they would really act in the water. And I'm like, I
1: need to see that footage right now. I would love to see that footage. That sounds insane, but that's exactly what it felt like they were like being dragged along by by these insanely fast creatures and that that is that is an incredible commitment to the weirdest mode of transportation in any fantasy sci-fi movie yeah it was
0: it was very strange but it was a cool kind of adaptation of the the torax from the first one and I feel bad for their Torex, because they're just gone now, right, I guess? Like, well, I mean, what happens to them she, once she they calls,
1: start- She calls in her dragon at the end, right? Like, in the, in that the is climax, true, so they're right, just, like, hanging true. around, I guess, waiting to be called in. Well, I'll be very curious
0: to see where we go, because, as you said, they do, they do promise that we'll be back with the Water People again next movie. So, yes, I'm excited. I, w- I remain me th- excited.
1: Me too, dude. I will be right back in those big 3D goggles- Faces pressed against the IMAX screen. It'll be so many more frames per second that we can even handle.
0: Allegedly, it's 2024, so I hope they keep that. I hope they keep that release date. We don't have to wait another 13 years for Avatar three. Really,
1: me too. I. But then again, 13 years did not deter how much I liked this movie. So I. I, If anything, it it made it better. I think think so. I think so. So I. We'll we'll see if, if maybe 2024 is too soon. We'll we'll lose the spark, but. Again, we're we're placing our trust in the man himself, so I think we're going to be okay.
0: But should we talk a little bit more, Avatar, over our pop culture reference? Let's do it. For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be talking about high frame rate projection. Until recent years, the standard frame rate projection of film has largely been in 24 frames per second. In the 1920s, when the era of talkies overcame silent films in Hollywood, The balance between the cost-effectiveness of shooting in 24 frames per second on celluloid film and the acceptable levels of realistic motion that were able to be captured solidified this method of filmmaking. With the advancement of screen and projector technology in recent years, many televisions, computers, video game systems, and projector types have variable frame rate settings to offer a smoother and more lifelike moving image quality. Some experiments in high frame rate projections, such as Peter Jackson's Hobbit films and Ang Lee's Gemini Man, were criticized for looking unnatural to audiences that were used to standard 24 frames per second.
1: Many, if not all, of the underwater scenes in Avatar The Way of Water were specifically bumped up to 48 frames per second in the 3D release of the film, to emphasize a level of crispness and clarity of movement that director James Cameron envisioned for this long-awaited sequel. As general movie theater projectors cannot handle this amount of switching between frame rates that The Way of Water calls for, Cameron actually duplicated every frame in the land segments of the film to appear to the naked eye as 24 frames per second on a film that is actually being entirely projected in 48 frames per second.
0: This really is a pretty standard practice in animation, the idea of animating on ones and twos. He's just bumped it up to being higher frame rate. Uh, As I mentioned in our main segment, I feel like a lot of the high frame rate kind of distracted me, but then there were moments, especially in the water, that did work for me. What was your takeaway, Seamus?
1: Yeah, I think I, I did notice it a little bit more than I wanted to. I know a lot of the flying sequences were also bumped up to that forty eight frames. Yeah, I thought the
0: flying was the part that really got me out of it. Exactly.
1: Yeah. But I I can't echo what you're saying and I have a lot A lot of that underwater stuff, especially the very slowed down uh, Sigourney Weaver experimenting with her nature thing scenes in those 48 frames looked absolutely beautiful. And I I was getting lost in it without even noticing the 48 frames bump up. Uh, Maybe that is because I was just so mesmerized in the 3D side of all of it, too. But I thought it looked fantastic.
0: I think like 3D. Not exactly the same, because I think 24 frames per second is something that we're used to in a way Mm. that is more intrinsic than something like 2D versus 3D. However, like 3D, it's all about the artist's deployment of the high frame rate. James Cameron knows that you can't paint the whole movie with 48 frames per second, Mm. because that's just going to make it look weird. But I think he does understand, and his visual effects team understands, that some elements, when rendered in a different frame rate than other elements of the film are going to feel different. The movement's going to feel different. I think especially the water, that comes across really, really well. And I'm a little bit scared for what this could mean for the future of high frame rate because I personally don't really like movies that use higher frame rates in general. I I think they work really well for video games where the motion is more intentional and the reflex time is more important to you. Or sports where... It helps you keep track of the ball better, or something like that. But in movies, there's a certain cinematic look that I don't want to get lost in high frame rate. Just like we've lost a lot of cinematic look to CGI, or a lot of the cinematic look to the the desire to convert to 3D in post, like the craze that happened after the first Avatar movie.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm expecting a lot more tribal, different environmental tribal interactions in future Avatars, and if there's a lot more emphasis on flight and, and sky travel in the next ones, and the decision is to keep up with that frame rate switch as you go, I think that might really take away a lot from our future experiences if we're not staying more in the water basis of the 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 water people navi agreed completely agree
0: so it's an interesting technology that like many technologies will probably see rapid expansion after james cameron uses it Hmm. in a prominent and impressive way so i'm sure we'll see more high frame rate to come i'm sure it's not the last time we'll talk about it on this show but should we move on to our season finale of star noirs Ooh yes please let's do it
1: Now is time for the finale of star Noirs for now with the finale episode of season one of andor on disney plus and and we know it's been a little bit with our our time fluctuations here, but this was one hell of a finale episode if you ask me i I rewatched it again to to get ready for this, and i don't know why this show makes me cry so much garrett i'm am am a I'm a <laughs> I'm a waif boy when it comes to this show. I just break down. It's so incredibly touching in ways that I never thought I would ever get out of a Disney Plus original series. And or
0: as a whole, and I don't know if I've said this on air yet or not. Uh, I know I've said it to you off, off mic. I think that it is the best Star Wars thing ever produced.
1: I, I think you you floated that idea as a possibility on air, but... I think I I think I might agree with you. It is the most well done, incredibly written, incredibly acted Star Wars properties I have ever seen. It is transcendent and it's I was getting a little getting a little fatigue, a little bit of that, you know, that Marvel fatigue we always talk about, but I'm locked right the back right the hell back in with Andor and every other Star Wars thing that's coming now because of how good this show was as a whole. Every single episode had me on the edge of my seat.
0: I think it's a series that expands the Star Wars universe the way it should be expanded, which is, it's great to set stuff in eras that we're already familiar with. It's great to have characters that we're already familiar with, but an over-reliance on fan service, an over-reliance on ensuring that the audience can recognize and Easter egg eyes everything that's on screen while neglecting a more complex, more thoughtful story, and or has remedied so many of the problems that have plagued star Wars in the Disney era. And not that every single star Wars thing should be like Andor because that that's not what star Wars is, Mm. but Andor is able to rally the horses around such specific themes that have been dormant. I think in star Wars for a long time with the notable exception of, of course, Ryan Johnson's the last Jedi, which, you know, I will defend forever. Of course. Um,
1: but, I mean, I think this blows Rogue One out of the water. And I like Rogue One a lot. Yeah, I, I love Rogue One. It was probably my favorite Disney-era Star Wars like mainline film. And I just couldn't even imagine going back to Rogue One before rewatching Andor, waiting for more Andor. The, everything about Rogue One... I mean, I still very much love that film, and I think everything about it is plussed up by this series, but Andor is the king of the hill right now, and I think it's going to be pretty hard to knock it down, because of the way they set up the future of this show, the the spine-chilling speeches and action that, that they gave us in the, this last episode here. All of these characters that I want nothing but more of their internal struggles, and personal characterization to flourish because that's what this entire show was it was focusing on the most human real cast of characters that star wars has ever given us the opportunity to get to know really and that and kind of like how rogue one was a you know a group of random people that were called into the life of adventure and called to make this sacrifice for the greater good Everything in Andor is that times 100, and I I need that Season 2 to be out sooner than it should be. And I'm wishing a rushed rushed show on myself because I'm just so impatient to get back to what these characters have for us and what inevitable, probable time jump we're going to run into with the start of Season 2.
0: But I don't think a time jump's necessarily a bad thing. It's very vague about how long... This season has even lasted. I don't really know, you I mean, know, how long there are between episodes. There are some episodes that obviously pick up one right after another. But, but there's plenty of space for time jumps during the season we just finished.
1: Yeah, I guess that's that's very true. I mean, I, I, I've I been looking at it as, like, a couple months span. Because the first part of the series is, like, a week or so until the Eldani heist. And then we get a couple months locked in on Narquina 7. Wait, that's the that's the right name, right? That's the prison planet? Yes. Yes. Okay. I think so, and then Narquina Five, Narquina five, five. Sorry, I think there's a, the beach planet is something seven, if I'm not mistaken. But and then we get back out of prison, and then it's like a couple days for him to get rallied and back to Ferex. So, and I mean, I'm I don't know. We got our BBY timestamp at the beginning of this season. I, I have a feeling it's gonna kind of go along that order of each season is gonna have a very specific place in the countdown of years until the Battle of Yavin.
0: I think overall for Andor, if you haven't been enjoying the Star Wars storytelling that's been happening in live action lately, whether that's the movies or the television series, I know that a lot of people were disappointed by Obi-Wan Kenobi and season two of The Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett and Star Wars Episode Nine. You know, yeah, I know there's a lot yeah. of them. There's been a lot of that going around. This is a complete, uh, not even a return to form for Star Wars, because it's it's b- become something that Star Wars has never been. It's complex. Um.
1: Yeah, it's complex. It's raw. It is the most raw show, the most raw Star Wars anything, really, that I can think of. I mean, people are getting their limbs chopped off all up and down the mainline movies. But this is just like, e- even when it's not even thinking about, like, the torture of it all like the literal torture it's like the internal emotional struggle of every single character no matter how briefly we get to know them in this show is so on display and their motivations their internal motivations for pushing back against the empire before Andor finds himself as the you know legitimate leader in the rebel alliance it is it's fascinating and heartbreaking and it makes me so upset that the the characters that do end up dying in this show will just like stick with me for forever in ter- when me when i'm thinking about star wars so i uh, should, do you do you think we should jump into the the meat of this finale here
0: i think so i think i think let's call a spoiler warning and let's talk about andor episode 12 rick's road
1: <sighs> that marva speech at at her funeral on rick's road was incredible it it was so inspiring in in context and just like generally like outside of the world of star wars it's such a it's such a personal and real and so such a sad final goodbye for this character and me and you have been kind of milling around on this segment for a while now of like where is mon mothma's epic famous speech gonna come into play, or will it, it, is it even gonna, you know, make an appearance in live action in in a way that will be a direct reference to the things on Rebels and things like that, but I was so satisfied and wiping tears away from my eyes at that funeral scene before everything else, you know, literally and figuratively blows up around them, It, it was just incredible. I it it broke my damn heart and I rewatching it today. I'm still still getting misty-eyed when I when I see that like march down Rick's road with like the band and everyone following. It's it's incredible. How do you feel about B2Emo getting absolutely tanked though? Oh my god. I was on my feet, Garrett. I that boy deserves nothing but love and kindness and he got flipped by some jerk imperial and I'm I'm I, I'm not happy that he got flipped. I'm happy that he had an integral part in starting the riot that let uh, our big guy Brazo. Brazo. Sure. Right, big guy Brazo, his friend.
0: Yeah, I, I um, <laughs> I do not. I'm, I'm not. Pretty sure it's Brazo. I believe he, you.
1: B two gets flipped, and Brazo gets to use Marva's funerary brick as a, as just that a blunt was object. so cool. She would never be happier than knowing her brick used was used to smash in the skull of some Imperial foot soldier. I ah, uh, that made my heart warm, truly.
0: Well, as we predicted in episode one of Star Wars, uh the the guy beating the big Beskar anvil at the top of the tower <laughs> yeah. gets to take those hammers to some stormtrooper helmets.
1: Oh man. Well I mean he he kicks the one the guy off the tower and like that he plays his big metal anvil drum to the to the scene of a massive riot it's like the haymarket square riot dude throws a bomb into the crowd ignites uh-huh. oh my god i and i knew what was going to happen when that kid threw the bomb but i wanted him to throw that bomb more than anything <laughs> and the fact that it like sparks a chain reaction with a bunch of thermal imploders near the hotel it's ju- it's just so incredibly Violent. Just the violence in that scene alone of marching band members joining in on, like, a riot shield barrier fight. It's it's incredible.
0: I loved having all of our characters together. You and I were anticipating that last week. I,
1: I loved the moment where Karn saves yes. Dedra. Oh, my Oh my God. And they're, like, they're really, really right about to kiss, it feels like. She's they so... really are. And I mean, I'm I rewatching it today, I'm like really glad that they didn't do that because it's there. You don't have to have them do that. Their weird connection is so much on screen. Agree. Like just their wide eyes staring at each other. Incredible. They're are those two characters I want so much more of together when she promotes Cyril to her new lackey, I guess, in in, in her office.
0: I'm really glad that Cassie and Went and broke Bix out. That was something that I really enjoyed and was afraid that Bix was going to get neglected in this finale episode.
1: And more than that, when he finally gets her to the ship that is going to be escaping, the their relationship obviously not fully back to what it was in the past, but she still trusts him with everything left that she has after being tortured so horrendously. She assures B2 and everyone else in the ship that Cassian will find us. And they kind of share a moment where they're like, yes, I absolutely will find you. There's nothing that will stop me from finding you. And I I thought that was really, really a genuinely great. I I would have liked a little more between them in general in this show, kind of what I was saying in the early editions of Star Noirs. But their relationship as it stands now, I am... Very excited to see her state and her perspective on everything come season two.
0: Yeah, I am very curious to see how their relationship evolves. Again, I feel like that she is probably going to end up dying before the events of Rogue One.
1: Dramatically in his arms, yes.
0: Yeah, I hope not. I hope, I mean, that is a character where, unlike most of the characters in the series, I would love to see her role expanded and see what she gets up to outside of... The Andor stuff, you know? Like, she could be a rebel.
1: Oh, yeah, I I definitely think so. And, I mean, we never really got the showdown between the Aldani crew and Andor that was being set up with all the spy espionage things on Ferrex. So, I can imagine that she might play another role in integrating, still being hunted by, you know, whatever the cliffhanger ending of Andor's showdown with Luthan and his ship at the very end is going to turn into by the time season two comes around. That I feel like she'll have a greater role in, like, well, my life is destroyed, my business is gone, my fiancé is dead, and I'm on the run from the Empire, so now I'm either going to go all in or I'm going to, you know, push back with everything I have because of what I've been through, and I... I I I can only speculate that it's gonna be influenced by her want to have Cassian back in her life. Maybe she's gonna make some choices that are hard for her personally because of you know what Cassian means to her in the grand scheme of of the Empire and what their home together on Ferrix and their their past together. I, I'm, I ugh, I'm bubbling. I I need more of it.
0: Uh, not to change topics too abruptly, but I do want to talk about Mon Mothma. And her role in this episode, which was much less significant than I expected it to be. But we see her essentially turn like her family didn't turn on her, like we've been assuming all season. She is throwing her family under the bus for the cause that she is marrying her or well, she's not marrying her daughter off, but she's definitely Flirting with marrying her daughter off to this awful man. I mean,
1: it wasn't the last part of them all meeting together. Was that not like, was that not some kind of ceremony? They're all dressed up, and I guess they're always all dressed up.
0: In the last episode or whatever, whichever episode it is where they talk to him, he's like, All I'm requesting is a meeting. I'm not requesting betrothal yet. Just see what happens. Right, sure, sure. And then she's also like, Man, husband, do mine mind. You got to stop the gambling. You got to take that stuff to <laughs> take Canto, it to canto bite. bite.
1: Yeah, I love. I always love a Canto Bite name drop, but that specifically was so ruthless how she does her husband like that. But your husband's a jerk, I guess. I don't know. I mean, is it is it the equivalent of being a jerk and like putting your husband in the crosshairs of a vengeful empire? I mean, maybe not, but he kind of sucks, so I don't feel that bad.
0: I feel like she's taking Luthan's ruthlessness to heart, which I like.
1: And maybe Luthan is, depending on how you read his reaction at that surprise and or meet up on his ship at the very, very end, maybe he is uh, kind of seeing the upside of not just killing anybody who might have information against him. So yep. it's a little flip-flop. I, I kind of like it.
0: I love that when Luthan and... Cassian first mean that it's all about Luther trying to convince him to come and he's like, I came for you and I want you to help out and like you're the cause and everything like that. Mm. And then by the end of the series or the season here, it's Andor begging to go. He's the one who wants to go. Like, kill me if you're not gonna take me.
1: Yeah, man. So that was that's an intense stare down right there. In that in that rad ship of his, Luthen taking Cassian under his wing is, is gonna be even more fascinating when Cassian starts to get into the truth of his role on Eldani and his role past that and his influence on Luthen and his plans and everything else. it's I I just I just want more of it. I want to know more in depth about Luthen's connections to other cells and how he might integrate Cassian in some important places. So that he can either rally or, you know, come in again as like the linchpin of a plan that might not entirely be together. But whatever it is, I I am incredibly excited. It's not going to be Krieger. Krieger got wiped out. Krieger's done for. All of him and his boys, they not even on screen once. So I'm a little sad about that. But, you know, Luthen will find something for him.
0: Well, as you hoped for, Seamus, the entire Krieger arc played out off screen, which is so satisfying. I that, love
1: that. Kind, kind of insane that they. Uh, but, like, that's the. That's the the weird, almost unnatural for Star Wars feeling things that they're doing in this show that just make the, you know, boardroom of nameless Imperial ISB agents like that much more engaging and also putting a lot of the consequences of these just yeah, just kill everybody. It's a trap. Just massacre all of them. That attitude, butting heads with Daedra's more torture people for information kind of approach that, that she seems pretty upset said about when she gets the call that the ambush wiped every single one of Krieger's men out. And another thing that I noticed on my second time around here that I think is going to really spark a lot of extra crazy stuff with the Empire, Cassian leaves the manifesto in his old ship. He's he's listening to the manifesto from the Aldani commie guy, and he ditches it there in Ferex where Obviously, there's going to be a huge Imperial presence after what happened, a huge investigation. I think the Imperials are going to find that and realize that they are going to need to ramp up even more against these rebels before they're even a a solid single force. I think that is going to push even further into what's at play during Rogue One, where the Empire is, is... just a, as ruthless of a background presence as they are in the everyday oppression that they're acting on the people that they're of the planets that they're occupying. So I was hoping that the manifesto was gonna go to Luthen. Maybe I was hoping that it would maybe go to Mon Mothma. Somebody. I, w-
0: I was hoping it would make its way to Mon Mothma. Personally, yeah. Because
1: that—that's her whole thing. I bet she would be all over that.
0: I hope that that's not the last we see of Nemic's manifesto because ultimately that may I mean at the very least it's changed Cassian and that's why they played at the beginning mm-hmm. of this episode is to show Cassian's full buying into the idea of rebellion but yeah, although I-, I guess that's what it is isn't it I guess I've talked myself out of wishing that his <laughs> his words had a large impact because he says that right if I can reach one person you know, you're my target audience, and Cassian yeah. is that one person. And Cassian saves the galaxy.
1: Yes, he does. So Nimic did his job. And I mean, I I still think I, in my head, as I was rewatching it today, I'm thinking it falls into Deidre's hands. I think it has a like foil reaction to her than it did with Cassian. She's gonna bring it to her superiors and say, "This is all of the proof that I've been saying that there are." all of these connections between these micro skirmishes and these these small attacks that are going to add up and they're going to come together and then we're in trouble and she's going to use that as the spark to to ramp it up even more in the exact opposite way that it inspired Cassian and whoever else might have heard that through the the grapevine of rebellion so i i don't necessarily think it needs to really come back but i would i can see it falling back into the hands of the imperials in that kind of putting a fire under their ass again like they're they're going to make all those aldani connections back and, and it's going to it's going to be good for Deidre.
0: I'm very excited to see where Andor goes from here and I agree with you that it's gonna seem like a really, really long time
1: before our next episode of Star Noirs. Definitely. But I, it's highly anticipated just like that final after credits scene. I was, I've been watching all the credits for this whole season. Of course. We finally get a little, we get the things they were building in underwater prison were parts for the Death Star's planet weapon. The thing that will kill Cassie and Andor. Yeah, that is haunting and beautiful that he spent months of his time fighting for the highest score of parts of the thing that will wipe him and his best friends and Alderaan and Jeddah and all of this stuff off of the galaxy map. And it's it's horrifying that realization when you go back and you look at those Narkeena 5 prison episodes where they're so aggressively getting this work done for, like you said, what will ultimately be the end of his life.
0: What a great use of a post credit scene. Not to set up, you know, oh, the reveal is the Death Star, wow! But to show you exactly how twisted the Empire is, exactly how tragic the story of Andor and the the Rebellion as a whole is, and to remind you of the the heartless oppression that is the core of the series.
1: Again, I keep just thinking about the future of this show and how damn excited I am to see more of it. I don't I, could there ever be a better season of Star Wars television? I'm going to I'm going to hold out hope, but man, this was so incredible start to finish, all the way through that end credit scene. I'm in love with this show. I don't know what else to say. I want everything ever. Of Andor, and I know that it's it's just gonna it's gonna eat at me until I can get more of it. So maybe I'll get ready for Mando three. That that'll tide me over, maybe. Uh, you can't see the
0: face I'm making right now, Seamus. But...
1: <laughs> Comparing the third season of the Mandalorian, a show that has been going a bit downhill, to the best Star Wars thing ever made. Yeah, I I know how inappropriate that sounds after everything we've just said, but I I I'm gonna have my withdrawals. Very soon, maybe I'll just rewatch it from one again. I haven't I done that yet. I intend on
0: rewatching this season quickly. To be honest, I'm I'm excited.
1: I, I rewatched the finale. I rewatched uh, a couple of the Narquina five episodes, but I think I think I need the whole I need the whole gamut again. But what do you say we finish it off and save the rec center, Garrett?
0: I was trying to think of the, the Navi words for I see you, and I've lost them, even though that's how I greeted you at the top of this episode. Oh, my
1: God. Do you have, like, an English to Navi page up right now?
0: <laughs> Ignore the the, the, the typing, Seamus.
1: You don't have your annotated Navi to English dictionary like you did in school? <laughs>
0: Uh, it's, it's just all highlighters and sticky notes. <laughs> of course. Blue sticky notes.
1: Oh, yeah, I, obviously.
0: But yeah, let's save the Rec
1: Center. Save the Rec Center! Now it's time to save the Rec Center, where we give you our weekly recommendations. What do you got this week, Garrett?
0: I have for you, Seamus, one of the best films. Of the year, 2022. Oh. And it's one that I am almost certain that you have not seen.
1: Well, lay it on me.
0: Earlier this week, I watched on Showtime, where it premiered day and date all the way back in, like, February, a film called After Yang. Are are you familiar at all? Never even heard of it. So, it is set in the near future. It's kind of... Nebulous as to how long in the future it's been. It's very grounded sci fi. And Colin Farrell and Jodie Turner Smith, who I knew from Queen and Slim, if you saw that. Oh, I know. I know her. I didn't see
1: that movie, but I know her.
0: Have an adopted daughter from China because there seems to be some kind of fertility problem in this future. So adoption is very common, as is. The use of synthetic, like, android humans that act as older siblings to children who who are adopted from other cultures. So Yang is the older brother of the child that they're raising so that he can teach her about Chinese culture that obviously neither of them have a background with and keep her in touch with that part of her heritage. That's all background on this movie. The actual story is what the family goes through when Yang starts to malfunction and oh. they are left without him for
1: the first time in like eight years. Oh, I thought you were gonna say he's malfunctioning and turned into like a Terminator or something.
0: Nope, it's not. It's not an action <laughs> sci-fi. It's it's, it's a, like a drama. It's sci-fi. a drama.
1: That sounds fascinating. That is that is incredible. Wait, what did you say this was on again?
0: After Yang, and it's on Showtime. Which if. Uh, I imagine a lot of our listeners have the Spotify student bundle. Yes, right, right. You get Showtime through that. Also if you buy a lot of different things at like Best Buy you'll get a thirty day free trial of Showtime. There's you know, yep. Showtime is it's a good streaming service. They have a lot of good movies on there.
1: To this day I, I still need Showtime to finish Twin Peaks, the revival. I still have not finished it.
0: Well, if you need a login, Seamus, let me know, because After Yang is one of my favorite movies of the year, and I really went in knowing nothing about it and was blown away.
1: Well, that, that sounds incredibly fascinating and honestly very, very sad, but I, I would love to watch that. That sounds so weird and... And interesting and definitely my dumb action movie brain went straight to the action movie horror of it all but I that sounds like a very touching and sad kind of movie that I would definitely like to watch
0: I highly recommend it um it's by the same uh, director and I'm not he is also a video essayist and I'm not a hundred percent certain I'm saying this correctly but kaganada is K O G O N A D A, who also did Columbus, which came out a few years ago, you might remember, with um with John Cho.
1: I don't know if I remember that actually.
0: That is okay. It's fine if you don't remember it, but that's just the that's like the other movie that he's done that people might know. Uh but Seamus, what do you have to save the Rec Center with this week?
1: Well, this week I have for you the best movie of nineteen ninety three <laughs> Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes (laughs) in Demolition Man. That's such a different caliber of sci-fi than what we were just talking about. But we sat down together and watched this the other day over a very fancy Taco Bell dinner. And it was absolutely bonkers cartoon insanity. And I don't know if I need to go into detail about the plot for a movie that is 20 years old. But 30 years old. Jesus It doesn't matter when it came out because it's timeless and hilarious, and that's not true. (laughs) It's not timeless. It's the most dated thing I've ever seen, but it's very fun, action-packed. I've never seen Wesley Snipes more of a crazy person than in this movie, and it's just a lot of fun. It's really just dunking on every single fun thing and gross human thing that the 90s were going for in LA, I guess, and it takes it all, wraps it in a... A big cryogenic goop tank rips Sylvester Stallone away from his off-screen family and drops him into the future where everything is nice and clean. And Wesley Snipes is his own like sleeper agent downloaded with all this weird information that makes everything... The wackiest and, frankly, the stupidest, most fun thing I've ever seen Stallone in, and I I love it to death now. Even though I've only seen it once, but I want to watch it with everybody that I know because it is so ridiculous.
0: Wesley Snipes is amazing in that movie. He really is. And as you and I were discussing during that watch party, we had watch party. I say just the two of (laughs) us. Just the two of us. (laughs) It was a party. Damn it. Uh I think that movie shares a lot of tonal tissue with Black Adam.
1: Yeah, it's it's Black Adam Meets Austin Powers, and we were saying that a lot throughout the, the, the entire movie.
0: And I completely second that rec Center because it is a great time. I enjoyed it way more watching it with you than I than I did the first time I saw it. So it's on HBO Max right now. That's how we watched it.
1: Yeah, it, truly a treat. I have seen so many weird dumb Stallone movies, but I was I was getting my weird, like expensive. Fix because he's the most like strange, generic Johnny badass. I guess that's a lot of Sylvester Stallone roles, but it 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 really scratched the itch of Do you want to watch a movie that you don't necessarily have to care about what's happening, but everything that's happening is still. Pure entertainment. If you look at the screen, then that's the movie to watch. And Otho from Beetlejuice is there, and he's oh yes, that's I'm true. not going to spoil anything. But my man is my man is death proof in this movie. I don't know what to say. I was so <laughs> expecting terrible things to befall Otho from Beetlejuice, but God bless him.
0: Well, I think that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference, which also happens to be the last of the year for us. So we're going to be taking the next couple weeks off because both of us will be out of the country. I think, right? That's yeah, true. That, that is true. But we will be back in the new year with the, we are doing this in a different order than we usually do, but here we are. Um, <laughs> In the new year, Seamus's crippling illness prohibited him from being able to see Glass Onion in its limited theatrical engagement. However, he will be seeing it when it comes to Netflix on December 23rd. So that's your audience homework as well. And we will be covering it first week of January when we get back.
1: I absolutely cannot wait. I've only heard incredible things about it and I'm super excited to get into it with you I'll, I think I'll have to do a rewatch because I'm excited was, to pick it apart hell yeah man! I, and I'm, I'm definitely going I'm rewatching the first one I'm, I'm getting all prepped up for it I'm, I'm watching I'm gonna watch Clue again shout out to whatever episode that was
0: early early is what that episode was
1: (laughs) but yeah i'm i'm super excited for the new year with you man and i i think we're i think we're in for a real treat with glass onion me too i know we're in for a real treat oh yeah i guess i'm in for not to not to hit my my hand too much
0: Well, if you want to reach the show, you can tweet us, find us on Instagram and TikTok at PCR underscore podcast. You can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com and interact on any platform in any capacity with the show because it really helps us out. Have a very happy holidays and a happy new year from your family here at Pop Culture Reference. We will see you in 2023.
1: Adios, amigos.